I want to invite everyone to open their Bibles to Genesis. We continue our journey in Genesis. We come to chapter 28 today. We uh, kind of ventured into chapter 28 last week and are finishing out the chapter today. Kids are really weird, you know. Danny Elsie being the only kids in here. Y'all are cool. But otherwise, uh, uh, it's funny watching kids play together because they're complete, they'll be complete strangers and they're so much nicer than adults. Like, I can't imagine adults meeting for the first time and the first words out of their mouths being, let's play together. I don't know, maybe adults are the weird ones because if that's what the first thing adults said to each other, we'd live in a much better world, I guess. Let's play together. I don't know, that's kind of weird. Anyway, uh, but kids don't really mind getting into like one another's business. So they'll ask things like, um, can, can I take off your shoes? Can I help you take off your shoes? Or, or can I help pick you up? Do you want to go potty together? You know, just, just really just like in each other's business. You know, it's, it's really funny. And of course, kids get all up in our business too, whether we're trying to work or we're cleaning or cooking. They just want to be right there in the action. And, and really, I feel like it's a constant struggle for a parent because you can either get things done the way that you want them to, or you let your kids have fun and leave things a little messy. It's just, just constant struggle. And, and kind of like kids, we humans just like getting in the way, especially when it comes to how God works. With kids, they just like to get in the way because they're usually just looking for fun. Uh, but when it comes to God's work, it's usually because we think we know better. It's because of pride. God's working. We can't see it. We don't know what he's doing. So we're like, let's just kind of take matters in our own hands. Let's, let's do it. We think we know what we need the most. And when we need it the most. That's how, uh, if I can take you back a few chapters in Genesis, that's how the builders of the Tower of Babel were. They wanted to get their own way and build a tower that reached the heavens and, and make a name for themselves. They wanted to build a legacy for themselves, build a house for themselves, so to speak. And God cursed them for their pride. And here in chapter 28, why that's important is because God does the opposite of that with Jacob. This chapter isn't about man getting in the way and trying to build something for themselves, but about God building something on behalf of man. Instead of man trying to build a tower to get to God, God comes down to us and builds on our behalf. In other words... Instead of a house built by man, this chapter shows us a house built by God. A life built by God. And if you don't want to get in the, if, if you're here and you would like God to work in your life, and you don't want to get in the way, and you don't want to think you know better, or, or, or try to pervert it, or try to build a tower for yourself, if that's you, this chapter shows us Four characteristics of a life built by God, or, or let me say it this way, four characteristics of a life that allows God to work instead of getting in the way. So let's read chapter 28, and we're going to start in verse 10 today, uh, going all the way to verse 22. Jacob fleeing Esau, he left Beersheba and went toward Haran. 
And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones, the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. We don't want to get in the way, but allow God to do his work in us. Four characteristics of that. And the first is humility. And uh, as we jump into this part of the chapter, let's think about Jacob's situation for a moment. And, and the first is the reason he's running. Like the reason that he's in this situation in the first place. He, he already has the birthright. He got that a couple of chapters ago. And last chapter, he, fought, he got the family blessing. But Esau, his brother, wants to murder him for stealing both of them. This, this is exactly why Jacob is where he is. He's not going on like this, this journey because he wants to. He's going to find a wife from his mother's family because primarily he's fleeing from his brother for fear of him, for fear that he's going to kill him. This isn't exactly a success story. This is like a Ukrainian millionaire running away from all of his riches because he's going to be killed by the Russians. Jacob is running away from all of his riches for fear of his life. He's, he's lost everything at this point. In fact, he's got so little, he can't even find a place to stay. He doesn't even have shelter. Later in the chapter, we learn he's, he's in the vicinity of a place called Luz. But our attention is drawn intentionally to the fact that this is a no-name place. Like verse 11 says, um, when he came to a certain place... Like, it's so remote, there's not even a name for it. Uh, so uh, when my mom asked my great-grandmother, who made some of the world's best food, you know, and used the most unhealthy ingredients in the world, I asked her for her recipes. My, my great-grandmother included instructions that were so vague, they included uh, instructions like, add just enough sugar, or not too much salt. Thank you for being very clear Mama, that's what we call her as Mama. Jacob is in this unspecified place, and he doesn't even have shelter, 
And get this, he can't even afford to use like some of his clothes as a pillow. He, he, he is left with that little that he can't even like take off a cloak or something to use as a pillow. He, he uses a rock. I've camped outdoors many times and I've never thought using a rock would be a good idea. That's how little he has. And listen, this is a really a, 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 um, an ironic turn of events for Jacob because for all even, things have worked out for him. For all of his plotting, for all of his deceiving and getting what he wanted up to this point, his deterioration is, or his situation has deteriorated rapidly and it's just turned on its head. That like, quite literally, he's at rock bottom, isn't he? And the only way for God to build Jacob up into the house that God wants Jacob to be is if Jacob is primed for God to do that. You see, pride allows us to build some pretty impressive stuff. Whether we build towers or fortunes or legacies or whatever, the result is that we are satisfied with the work of our hands and we want others to be satisfied with who we are, what we've done also. But as Job 24 says, it's all rotted on the inside anyway. Job says, he may let them rest, talking about the rich and the wicked and the proud, he may let them rest in a feeling of security, but his eyes are on their ways. For a little while, they are exalted, and then they are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all others. They are cut off like heads of grain. What Job discovers... Uh, and we, he's talking about here and he discovers later on in his, in his life. And what scripture teaches us repeatedly is that the reason God just doesn't let us have it easy. The reason God just doesn't let us get comfortable is so that he can build something resilient and infinitely more satisfying. And humility, having nothing of our own, claiming nothing of our own, hitting rock bottom, primes us to receive God's good and gracious work in our lives. It's precisely when we have nothing when we're ready to receive the everything that is God. This comes through uh, depression, financial loss, disease, hardship, or something like a thorn in our side like Paul. They're all extremely painful, but vital designs to keep us from the emptiness of pride and to prime us for the fullness of the eternal God's glad, good, and satisfying work. So humility is foundation for any kind of work that God is going to do to build us up. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who go through all that kind of stuff and nothing changes. You can lose everything and still remain as proud as you can be. Which is why there's another vital characteristic here that, that's, that cannot be uh, detached from humility, and that is trust. Somehow, Jacob is able to fall asleep on a rock, uh, and he has a dream. And this dream, he's, he sees this ladder reaching up to heaven, right, which connects this chapter to Babel. 
And essentially what he sees is this, this is where heaven meets earth. It's not a tower built by human hands, but on the ground on a rock. A guy named Stephen Dempster writes of this scene that the ramp that connects earth and heaven graphically links the unity of heaven and earth with the sleeping Jacob. God will build his tower through a seed found in this land. Or in the language of the text, the blessing will come through Jacob and his seed. In other words, God is designing and God is building where heaven shall meet earth and it will come through Jacob. God is building the house. And and here in the vision, God transfers the covenant with Abraham to Jacob. Okay, All that language is, is lifted out of his covenant promises with Abraham and gives them to Jacob. I mean, Jacob already got the birthright to Esau. He, he got the blessing from Isaac. But this is the first time God himself appears to Jacob. If we didn't know by now, what's clear is that Jacob's life has a divine purpose behind it. In this vision that that Jacob sees as he's sleeping with this ladder where where heaven is meeting earth gives Jacob three reasons to trust God. One, two, three. Three reasons. The first is trust in God's faithfulness. God reveals himself in verse 13. He sees the ladder. The, uh, The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. Like, guys, listen, God's fundamental identity revealed to Jacob is that he is a good and faithful covenant partner. That's, that's why he says this. I was a good and faithful covenant partner to your grandfather, and I was a good and faithful covenant partner to your father, and that means I will be a good and faithful covenant partner to you as well. God does not forget those he is in a relationship with, and he treats them with all goodness. Not an ounce of evil, not an ounce of wickedness, not an ounce of unrighteousness, but all goodness. He's calling Jacob in this moment to reflect on that goodness shown in Abraham's and Isaac's life. Listen, if if you want to build a, a strong court case against someone, one of the strongest cases you can bring is to prove a track record of delinquency against someone, right? If someone has proven over and over and over again that they've broken the law or done something, then you can be sure, or pretty sure, that this person's going to break it again or has broken it again. God is presenting a court case in this way too, except that he's revealing himself as having a proven track record of faithfulness. In the same way, it's an invitation for us to trust in God's faithfulness. Jacob's situation is dark right now. He's he's lost everything. He's sleeping on a rock in the middle of the desert. He's exposed. He's literally in the dark. But it is crucial for him to remember this fact. His situation is just like the psalmist uh, in Psalm 13 who's in this place of deep, deep darkness. But he confesses at the end in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord for He has been good to me. That is a, a verse worthy of reflection and remembrance. 
I will sing to the Lord, for, for He has been good to me. So Jacob is called to trust in God's faithfulness. He's also called to trust in God's plan. Though he has nothing right now, God reveals in verse 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jacob stands in the role of Abraham and Isaac as a new Adam, right? This, this is a covenant uh, that is now transferred to them and puts them in the role of a new Adam, right? They're the role to multiply and bring blessing to God's creation. And if you think about the gap where Jacob is and where God wants him to be, that's a big gap. I mean, it's a very big gap. But trust is in the grandeur of what God wants to accomplish. The only way we'll ever be able to endure hardship properly is if we're convinced. Not just that we agree with it, but if we're convinced of what Paul says in Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's trust in God's plan, and then there's trust in God's timing. God's revelation to Jacob as the God of all faithfulness and, uh, and combined with His great plan for Jacob means Jacob must trust that God will accomplish all of this in His own timing, and God says so in verse 15, Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Basically, this is God's promise of, or His way of saying, I'm not going anywhere. It's not saying, alright, once I've done that, I'm going to leave you. No, he's, he's saying, I'm not going anywhere. But all of this is necessary for God to build Jacob up. If we want to walk in God's will so that He is the designer and architect of our lives, trust in this way is necessary for us too. But just like humility must be accompanied by trust, trust must be accompanied by awe. Awe. A-W-E. That's the, the third characteristic. Jacob wakes from his dream and he has a reaction. In verse 16, or we, we, we read of his reaction. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Ha. it if that's not a picture of being a Christian, right? walking through life and doubting God's presence or... Um, not knowing whether he was with us or guiding us, only to realize later that he's been with us all along and we did not know it. Those, those times, for me, have produced the most humbled times in my life. When, when I thought I was going about stuff in my own strength or thought God was kind of just leaving me on my own, only to realize he had been with me every step of the way. Like I, I'm in awe of God in those moments because it seems so foolish of me to seem to doubt how he could still be working or or how much grace he was continuously pouring out on me. 
Verse 17. And he, Jacob, was afraid and said, How awesome in this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. May we be a people who are in awe of the God we claim to worship. May we eagerly seek to be in awe of this God. Like, let us be a people known for awe. This is the infinite God who meets the humble where they are. Psalm 147 describes God this way. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. There are estimates that there are 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And that's not including planets or massive interstellar objects. If someone made a million dollars a year, that means they would need to make about $3,800 a day. If someone made a billion dollars per year, they would need to make $3,800,000 a day. And there are 400 billion stars in our galaxy. And there are estimates that there are between 100 and 200 billion galaxies in our universe. And God knows each of these stars has a name for them and He knows them all instantaneously. The psalm continues. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. At the center of the Milky Way galaxy and most likely every other galaxy is what's called a supermassive black hole. And its gravitational pull is so strong, that's what causes the entire galaxy to rotate. And nothing, the gravitational pull of a black hole is so strong that nothing, not even light, can escape it. And when an object gets too close, it can no longer escape, but is pulled into a point of no return, beyond which humans don't even know what happens. We can only fathom what happens. And uh, this is only a servant to God's supermassive understanding of all things. God not only comprehends all things at once that have happened in the past, but He comprehends all things all at once of all things that will happen in the future. His understanding has no limit, which means He knows all in, in the moment, in an instantaneous moment, all things that could happen even though they don't. He knows the exact consequences and outcomes of what you eat for lunch today and all the other outcomes and consequences if your choice was completely different. He has determined every step you take while at the same time you retain your will to choose. His understanding has no limit and He knows all knowledge and all possibilities in a moment. And it's nothing to Him. 
He is the infinite God who does not need to answer for anything He does or chooses not to do. He consults Himself. And yet, the psalm continues in the very next phrase, the very next verse, the Lord, this God, sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. He is the infinite, highly exalted God who meets the humble. Those who lay their heads on rocks. And how many more reasons beyond this do we have to be in awe of God? Let us pray to be in awe of Him. Humility, trust, awe. It's, it's really a, it's a privilege to be called to be in awe of God because we're, we're being called to be in awe of the most grand person being in existence. It's a privilege. So it, the awe and the final characteristic of a life built by God is, is faithfulness. Jacob not only responds with awe of God, but a faithfulness of his own. Uh, just as God has pledged covenant faithfulness to Jacob, Jacob reciprocates with a, a faithfulness to God. Look at verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way, that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is, um, this, this reciprocating faithfulness isn't Jacob like trying to pay God back. Oh, look at how much you've given to me. Let me try to repay you. Right? This is similar to our own parents' generosity to us in many cases, especially my own parents. Uh, their generosity toward me should create an effect in me of gratitude and generosity toward them. Not, not me trying to pay them back, but simply to reciprocate the goodness they have shown me. Man, you guys have been so good to me. I want to I try to, to just show you that I love you, that I'm, I'm thankful for you. And Jacob's faithfulness isn't about this grand offering that he can like give something great back to God, but, but simple, everyday faithfulness. Right? And that's, that's what faithfulness is. It's, it's about steady consistency. It's, it's about waking up each day with commitment to walk in God's will. Look at, look at how Jacob frames this. It's so simple. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will just give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. Right? And it's so simple. Jacob's faithfulness here is grounded in the, just an everyday commitment for what contentment for what God provides for him. And, and that's what faithfulness is all about. Faithfulness is grounded in contentment. You can't be faithful if everything on the other side always looks better, if the grass is always looking greener. Faithfulness is, is rooted in content. And so that's the question. Are we content with God's goodness and what He has provided for us? 
That's what Paul meant in 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Usually, I think when you think of contentment, we think of like monks, right? Like, okay, like, yeah, we can be content if we just have clothes and bread and water. Sure, we can have a whole sermon about that. that. But, but, but Paul says, no, contentment is actually gain. You're, you're actually gaining something if you have godliness with contentment. He's warning us not to be so led astray by riches because God has already provided us with what will satisfy us. If you are a Christian... If you believe in Jesus, God has provided you already with what will satisfy you. If only you will recognize it by faith and receive it. We can say more about um, possessions and um, uh, doing things to help our our well-being, that, that kind of thing. But that's a different thing than being discontent and asking for that satisfaction in God. But but listen, isn't it great how many books and articles have been released about the secrets to a good life and how many of those tell us what the Bible has been telling us for centuries? Right? The secrets to a good life. Like, you read all of them, it's like, be thankful, you know, give, give, and don't think about yourself. And it's like, the Bible's been like, hey, I've been here for a long time, pals. Practice thankfulness for God's graces. I mean, truly, even the most mundane things can be a source of great thankfulness. Um, an example from my own life. You know, I love, um, I think in the fall especially, when the, it's cooler and, and everything, and, and just sitting under a tree and seeing how the light of the sun creates, um, like how it makes the leaves glow. You know, if you're sitting under them, they glow, and you can see different shadows. Like, God designed that. Isn't that awesome? So something just as simple as that can be a great source of thankfulness. So practice thankfulness for God's graces. Receive them and, and enjoy them. Like don't feel guilty about enjoying what God has given you. Enjoy it and be faithful to where He has called you. Right? Do you work in an office or in a warehouse? Be a faithful worker. Are you a husband or a wife? Be a faithful spouse. Are you a Mom, dad, grandparent, be a faithful parent. Be faithful to God's word. Ingest it daily, consistently. I don't, I don't read God's word every day, even though I know I should. <laughs> but consistency is what we're aiming for. I try and read it every day, okay? I'm just, all right, I'm, I try, but I, I don't, I fail. Be faithful to God's church. Serve his body faithfully. So, it's, I'm not downplaying that our sinful hearts and life can make this difficult. But it's so simple, isn't it? doesn't mean it's always easy. Let me say that. It's not always easy, but it's so simple. If you are faithful where God has planted you, God will build you up. Humility, trust, awe, and faithfulness. Four characteristics of a life built up by God or a life that primes itself for God to work. The problem is, if this was a self-help book, it would be bankrupt 
because we're not good enough to achieve this. That's, that's the conundrum of this passage. Because we can take this and think, oh, if I just do this in my own strength, I can have a life built up by God. But that's not the message at all. It's that we can't do it. The message is we're so tangled up with sin that the only thing we could possibly come up with is destruction and death. So God, what God does and makes this good for us is that He has provided someone who fulfilled all of these things for us. If you are a Christian and you are a believer in Jesus, you have someone who did all of these things faithfully for you. Jesus humbled Himself so much that He took on a human nature and died on a cross. Jesus trusted God where we normally waver and falter. Jesus worshipped God in all where ours is, all, is faulty. Where we worship God in hypocrisy. Jesus was faithful because we're not faithful covenant partners. It is in Jesus that God builds His house. In Christ Jesus, God is building us up to be a temple for His Spirit. And the good news is, we don't toss all of this out of the window just because we're not able to accomplish on our own, but it is through Jesus that we are now able to do all of this. Through faith in Christ, who gives us strength, we are able to do all of these things for a life to be built up by God. So don't try to just do all this apart from faith because it's worthless. But through faith in Christ, we can be as certain as Jacob that God will do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. We can be more certain than Jacob. We don't need God to appear at the top of a ladder for us because He's appeared to us in a better form in Christ. So what I'm trying to say is this, if you do not know Jesus, or if your faith is not in Him, you are trying to build a tower all on your own. You are a Babel builder. It doesn't matter what you think or what you feel, if you are not believing in Jesus, you are relying on your own works to get to God. The good news is that God will come to you and build you up. If you will come to Him in Christ. I'd like us to respond to God and His Word and His Spirit who speaks to each of us this morning. Let's respond to Him in prayer and in song. <clears throat> Father, You give us Your Word to show us how we ought to live. Yes, God, we thank You for showing us that humility and trust and awe and faithfulness are what You call us to. But God, You also show us that these things are not possible on our own. That we need someone not only who will do them for us, but who will give us the strength to do them in our own lives. And You have provided that for us. You have built the house already. And you just invite us to participate in that by faith in your son Jesus. And we thank you for that. 
Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the deadly way in which we try to build up by our own works. The deadly way, the prideful way in which we get in your way by our own efforts. Convict us of that, God, and teach us your way. Apply your word to our hearts. Transform us. May we not act humble, but may we be humble. May we not talk about trust, but may we actually trust. May we not know a lot about you, but be in awe of who you are. May we walk faithfully to you because you have pledged covenant faithfulness to us in your Son. We ask these things of you by your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.